you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. Father, we come to your word now, and I thank you for your word, because your word brings to us the information, the revelation that we need to be able to walk successfully through this life. You, you've not called us to just drag through life and barely make it. You have called us to be overcomers, more than conquerors. We are, regardless of what anyone else says, we are who you say we are. And Father, several weeks ago, it just began to resonate in my spirit. How successful could the church be in these last days if the people who are part of the church could understand who they are in you? Lord, if we can ever get a hold of our identity... If we can ever lay our hands around who we are in you, Lord, it will change our lives, will change our circumstances. It will change those who we are in close proximity to. Lord, you didn't call us to set ourselves up on a hill and set a basket over our heads so that no one could see the light of your glory. No, you've called us to show forth the glory of God. You've called us to be salt and light in this world. And we can't do that effectively until we know who we are. So Lord, today, we're going to go to your word. We're going to read it. We're going to consume it. And we're going to give it its rightful place in our spirit. And today, as I preach, something is going to begin to happen in the hearts and lives of your people today. There are men and women in this house today that they've struggled with their Christianity ever since the day they got saved. But I declare today in the name of Jesus that something is going to click in their spirit today that it will allow them to say, ah, that's who I am. That's how I'm supposed to live. If that's truth, then I'm going to start today walking in it and declaring it and letting God have his rightful place in my life. My life will change and I'll never be the same from this day forward. Never, 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 never. In Jesus' name, I ask it, I pray it, I declare it, I expect it, and now, Lord, we're going to see it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I want to get a good look at you right now because... This is the only time that I'll ever be able to see you in the state that you are currently in. Because after you receive the word of the Lord, you're going to be different than you are now. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and tell them all that. It won't hurt their feelings. Amen. Amen. How many of you know that you are righteous? You're righteous. So I don't know, pastor, you know, that seems a little uh, overbearing to me. It seems a little arrogant for me to say that kind of thing. Well, listen, it's not based on what you declare. It's based on what God has already said you are. You are righteous. 
If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and in your life and you are in relationship with him, you are righteous. It is settled in heaven forever. You are righteous. And if that's who God says you are, then don't you think it's time for you to start seeing yourself like God sees you? Stop seeing yourself the way that the world says you are and the way that your parents said that you were and the way that somebody else said that you were and start looking at your, yourself through the eyes of the one who created you and the one who redeemed you in, in his power. So you are righteous. Psalm chapter 37, beginning at verse 1, says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way and over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It ends only in evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy to slay those whose way is upright and their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. And the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. And when he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. 
Now turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. And the law of his God is in his heart, and his steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. But the Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation, that word there means deliverance. The deliverance of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Aren't you glad that you are counted among the righteous of God? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now I want to make three observations to you this morning about righteousness. I'm going to try and preach short today because my dear sister was telling me tonight to this morning about fried chicken and how that she just had the best fried chicken that she's ever had in her life and she's made me want to eat and so I'm going to have to preach quick so that I can get somewhere that has something to go in my belly today. <laughs> Truth is I'm going to preach till I get done. Amen. When I'm done the chicken will still be there. Praise the Lord. I want to make three observations about this idea of righteousness and being righteous. The idea of righteousness sometimes is offensive to some because we, we can, if we're not careful, we can think, well, I'm just being um, arrogant or I just think too highly of myself. And, and doesn't scripture actually say that we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to? And absolutely it does. It's telling us to beware and to guard against any fleshly mentalities that would raise, up, uh, raise ourselves up, but based on our own activity or based on uh, our own wisdom or knowledge. But when God says to you that you are righteous, then who are you to argue with God when he calls you a particular thing? And all throughout Scripture, we are told that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are righteous. We are made righteous in his eyes. 
which means that I don't have to worry about the sin that I once lived in. I don't have to worry about, the scripture says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not walking in the flesh. I'm walking in the spirit of God. He lives and dwells within me. Now, I'm not perfect, but I'm getting that way thanks to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's where this breaks down for most people. Because when they understand and realize that they are not perfect and that they still fall short of the glory of God regularly, then they think, well, I must not be saved. Or I must not be all that God says that I am. Listen, God is working on you. He is perfecting you every moment of every day. And if he has accepted you and made you righteous by his blood, then you've got to start seeing yourself in that light. That's my first observation that I want to make today. Is that righteousness is a state of enlightenment. Everything that happens to you in the kingdom of God and in the spirit will happen in your mind. It begins right here. It doesn't happen in your big toe. It doesn't happen in your elbow. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry, I forgot to put oil on my elbow. She said I look like an elephant on my elbows. I forgot to do it before I came. So just disregard my elbows, okay? It's not where my righteousness is anyway. My righteousness is not in my hair. My righteousness is not in my kneecap. My righteousness and everything that the Lord does in me and for me is established in my mind, which means that I have to take on a mindset that agrees with God. I have to agree with him that I am righteous. Now, in Psalm chapter 37, I love what verse 3 says. It says, trust in the Lord and begin to do good and dwell in the land. In the land of what? In the land of righteousness that he is providing for us. And he says, befriend faithfulness. He says, let faithfulness be your friend. In another version of scripture, it says, feed yourself on faithfulness. I like that, don't you? He says, if you want to experience the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it has to start right here in your mind. You have to begin to think the way that Jesus is thinking about you. You have to put on the things and the mind of Christ. You've got to put down the things that would come against you and tell you that you are anything different than what God says you are. You've got to understand who you are. You've got to recognize that you're saved. You've got to recognize that your sins have been covered. You've got to stop putting yourself in bed at night worrying about whether or not you're going to split hell wide open because of some mistake that you made during the day. You've got to start declaring before you close your eyes every night that I am not in condemnation. I am a child of the Most High God. I am righteous because of Him. And if I should die when I uh, before this night is over or, or if the Lord were to come back, I'm perfectly all 
right with that because my sins are washed away. They're gone as far as the east is from the west. They're not remembered against me ever again. I am righteous in Christ Jesus. Well, it's hard to get in our heads sometimes, though. It's hard for us to understand that we are who God says we are. But listen, if you're ever going to be, if you're ever going to be victorious, you've got to get in this book. And you've got to start saying, okay, God said that about me. So now if God said that about me, whose report am I going to believe? Am I going to believe the report of the enemy? Am I going to believe the report of the devil who is out to kill me and steal from me and to destroy me? Am I going to believe that report? Am I going to believe the report of my flesh? that disregards what God says and I'm just going to talk about how bad I feel and how defeated I am and how that I can never get past this situation and I can never move beyond it am I going to fill my atmosphere with the words of doubt and disagreement with the things of God no 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 a thousand times no Start thinking with your mind about what your tongue needs to be saying. And before you say what it is that you're feeling, start saying what it is that you believe based on the faith in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of the Lord. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Don't let anyone tell you any differently. It is a state of enlightenment. Whatever you believe is how you'll live. If you feel defeated, you'll live defeated. If you feel angry, you'll live angry. If you feel bound, you'll live bound. If you feel a particular way, it is going to manifest itself in your life unless you begin to take initiative and take authority, those feelings and those words that that are of the flesh and start believing what God says about you. You're righteous. You're righteous. You are righteous. You are righteous. Why? Because God says. Oh, don't go home and say a preacher passed. He pointed his finger at me Sunday. And I know it was for me. He said, I'm righteous. Well, good for you. But you're not righteous because I said you're righteous. You're righteous because God said you're righteous. And if God said you're righteous, uh, then let him point his finger at you every day and remind you you are righteous. When you get up in the morning, remember you are righteous. When you get up in the morning and your hair is going every different way, say, I am righteous. When you're on your way to work and you're dreading what you have to face, say, this is no problem for a righteous man or woman of God. Amen. Because I am righteous because of him. It's a state of enlightenment. The second thing I want you to understand about about righteousness is it is a state of existence. It's a state of existence. If I were to ask you where do you live, many of you would give me your physical address. If you would ask me where I live, I might would probably say 6901 Outer Loop. You know, I've never lived on a loop before. Every time I say outer loop, people look at me like I have lost my mind. Spell that. O-U-T-E-R space L-O-O-P. Is it a street? No, it's a loop. 
Is it a drive? No, it's a loop. Is it a boulevard? No, it's a loop. So you live on a loop? Actually, I live on outer. I still don't understand it myself. But if you were to ask me where I live, I would say to you, 6901 Outer Loop. And then you'll have to deal with the rest of it and figure it out with the wisdom that I know that you have. If I were to ask you where do you live, you'd probably give me your address, but that's not what I want to know today. What I want to know today is where do you live? Where do you exist in the spirit? Here's the mistake that we make. We think that we're fleshly first. We think that we're natural first, but we're not fleshly first. We're not natural first. When we are born again, we are spiritual. We're spiritual first anyway, because the scripture says that God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before the DNA came together and created you as you are, God knew you. He made plans before you, before you were even in your mother's womb. How is that possible? It's because you are a spiritual being. So if you're going to prioritize anything in your life, don't prioritize your life from the moment you were conceived. Prioritize your life from the moment that God knew you by name before you were formed in your mother's womb. That's how long God has known you. That's how long God has had a plan for you. That's how God has put your destiny together because he knows you intimately in the realm of the spirit. So when you get up in the morning, listen, I get that you have to do fleshly things. I get that you have to brush your teeth. I get that you have to brush your hair. I get that you have to put your clothes home. I, I apparently missed the memo today about the white pants. Had I known, I could have worn the white pants too, but I'd have had to go buy some because I don't have any. But listen, I realize you got to do all that stuff. But the problem is, is that when we get up and we start in the flesh, we're more likely to finish in the flesh. But we can't run this race in the flesh. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Our priority is to get up and put on the armor of God, to put on our spiritual armor, to prepare ourselves to face the things that we're going to have to face today in Jesus' name because he has given us the ability. He has given us the power. He has given us the authority. He has anointed us. He has placed us where we are for this time and for this season. And so my question to you today is, where are you living? Living. Are you living in the flesh? Are you living in the spirit? The scripture says, in him we live and move and have our existence. The scripture says about Abraham, he was a friend of God. And so God accounted it to him as righteousness. He lived in relationship with God. He lived and moved and had his existence in his relationship with the Lord. Can I just challenge you today to start living and existing 
in the realm of the spirit. I don't know if you picked up in Psalm chapter 37, but he, he started talking about the righteous people. And he, st- he started telling us things about righteous people that are different from unrighteous people. F- first of all, he says, righteous people, they befriend faithfulness. You can count on them. They just, they are determined to be faithful. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I don't care how much the devil comes against me. I don't care how many times I'm tempted to do this or say this or think that. I've made up my mind. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let up. I'm not going to sit down. I'm not going to shut up because God has called me and I'm going to live in the existence of God and exist in the presence of God and know that I am more than a conqueror. I'm going to live there. I'm going to stay there. I'm going to walk there. I'm going to talk there. So that sounds good, but I just can't do it. Train yourself. Train yourself. Train yourself. Study to show yourselves approved a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Train yourself. Train yourself. Can I say it again? Train yourself. We think, well, some, some pastor will just tell me how to do it, and then I can just do it like that. Listen, I'm proud to be a pastor and a preacher and someone who can declare the word of God, but listen, I can't walk this walk for you. I can't go everywhere you go. I can't see everything that you see. I can't know everything that you know. And that's why it's important that you be able to live out and exist in the presence of God when there's no one of spiritual authority with you or in your life. On Monday at 1033, you better be able to look the devil right in the face and say, I don't care what you have to say today, devil. I know what the word of the Lord says and I'm living and moving and existing in what God has to say. Move, live, exist in it. You got to get your mind there. You got to walk in it. You got to stay in it. You remember Thomas? Call him Doubting Thomas. Scripture says when Jesus came, after he had been resurrected, he came to the disciples. There were only 10 of them there. There were only 10 of them there because Judas had killed himself, committed suicide. And Thomas didn't bother to show up. Oh, I could preach right there for a few minutes. I'm not talking about people going on vacation now. I'm talking about people who know how to walk in the Spirit, know how to pray in the Spirit, know how to do the things that will bring victory into your life. But for whatever reasons, you're just not showing up. You got to learn how to show up. Thomas wasn't there. Jesus comes into the room and he shows himself to the 10 disciples that are there and he proves that he's alive. And the other 10, they go to Thomas and they say, oh, he's alive. He was there. We could see him. And Thomas said, I won't believe unless I see it for myself. What had happened? He changed his place of residence. He was no longer existing In his relationship with Christ, he had allowed doubt to take priority over his existence. 
unless I see it with my own two eyes, I will not believe it. He changed his place of existence. I hope you don't get mad when I say this to you. I only say it because I love you. But I know a lot of people that the only reason or the only time that they're ever Christians is on Sunday at 10 a.m. Because they have not yet learned how to walk and live and exist in the Spirit of God. Scripture says eight days later. I heard a guy preach on this just the other day. I don't know if you heard Brother Doherty at camp meeting or not. But on Monday night, he preached about Thomas and how that on the eighth day, Jesus came a second time to the disciples. And this time, there weren't 10 there. There were 11 there. Thomas had showed up. He wanted to see what was going on. He wanted to see what was happening. Scripture tells us that anytime you see eight days in Scripture, we know that eight days was the time of circumcision. It's when they cut away the flesh. Eight days. The scripture says, after eight days, the Lord came to Thomas and showed himself to him. On the day that Thomas had to cut away his flesh, Jesus came and showed himself to Thomas. And he said, Thomas, come here. He said, give me your hand. Place it in my side. Place your hand in my, in my hand. And the Lord said, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And he changed his place of existence once again. He had slid back. He had walked away from his relationship with the Lord. But now faith had been resurrected in him. And he cut away the flesh and he came in to a place of renewed faith in Jesus Christ. That's what some of us need to do today. We need to say, Lord, I, I've let this thing affect me to such a degree that I don't believe anymore. I've allowed this sickness to take over my mindset. I've allowed this relationship to take over my mindset. But Lord, today, in the name of Jesus, uh, I'm going to walk back in uh, to a place of faith and let you deliver me. Where are you existing? Where are you living? It says they're generous. Say they befriend faith. Hey, righteous people are generous. They look at people who have need and they meet that need. I like the one at the end of the chapter that says righteous people, when they speak, they speak with wisdom. They don't speak stupid stuff. They don't go around and say something and then you look at them and scratch your head and say, That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Righteous people don't talk stupid stuff. They don't, they don't speak those things that don't bring wisdom into the situation. If we do, we need to pray for the Lord to upgrade our righteousness a little bit. We need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me guard my mouth because you didn't Give me this tongue for reasons of stupidity. You gave me this tongue and this mind so that I could seek the will of the Lord and know the will of the Lord so that when my tongue speaks, uh, it's going to uplift and encourage and edify someone in their faith. Wisdom. 
You're a wise person. If you're righteous, you're wise. So I don't know. I can't even win at tic-tac-toe. Every time I go to Cracker Barrel, I lose my sanctification over those little golf tees in that triangle. Makes me just want to take it and throw it against the wall. How many of you know what I'm talking about? One day I went in for breakfast there. I love that, that double meat breakfast they have. Man, you get double sausage, double, double bacon, double, double eggs. Man, I'm hungry. <laughs> they came over one day and took one of those stupid triangles with the stupid golf tees in it. And they said, I noticed you don't have one of these on your table. Here you go. I picked it up and I gave it back. I said, I already took it off this table one time. I'll put it back over here again. Came here to enjoy my meal, not get mad. God didn't call us to be stupid. He didn't call us to be ignorant. I'm not calling anybody stupid. I'm not calling anybody ignorant. Ignorant is just the lack of knowledge. That's all it is. God didn't call us to walk in a state of lack of knowledge. He called us to know everything that we'll ever need. He has given us everything we'll ever need. He has given us all wisdom. He has given us all knowledge. He knew before we knew what we would need and he has put it right in front of our very eyes if we'll just read it, accept it, and put it in our hearts and in our lives. Oh, we're generous. We, we befriend faithfulness. We're wise. Hey, listen, when we're righteous, our life looks different than it looked before we were righteous. And I have one more observation I want to give you, then I'm going to quit. Doesn't make myself hungry. I got to quit. State of enlightenment, state of existence. And when you're righteous, when you're righteous, you will live in a perpetual state of expectation. A perpetual state of expectation. Go to verse 24 and 25 with me if you will. Psalm 37. Ready? I'm 23. The steps of a man. Now let me stop long enough to say that there are several translations that add the word righteous there. You may be reading from one that says the steps of a righteous man. Some, some translations put the word good there. So you may be reading one today that says the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. But in the original manuscripts, the word righteous and good are not there. They are added for clarification. Clarifying the fact that these blessings that we're getting ready to talk about are for the righteous. The unrighteous cannot expect to receive these blessings. Only the righteous. So it says the steps of a man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I want you to hear this next verse 25. I have been young and now I'm old. 
Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I have never seen. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Now, you know what I thought when I read that? I thought that's not, incons- that's not consistent with reality. It's just not. I mean, you just stop and think about it. David wrote this. He said, I've been a young man and now I'm an old man. And I want to make an observation. I want to say I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. And my first response to that was, that is not true. You think about it. David's kingdom was a bloody kingdom. There were a lot of righteous men who fought side by side with him, who lost their lives in battle. There was one occasion when they were so hungry, they went, they went to a, a farm owner and said, look, we're hungry and we need food for the battle. And the farmer said, nope, not going to feed you, not going to give you any. And David said, I'll remember you. I'll be back. I don't have time to mess with you right now. But I'm hungry. and You didn't give me any fried chicken. And I'm telling you, I'll never forget it. As long as I live, mark it down in your calendar. I will be back to deal with you. You remember when he was so hungry that he had to go into the temple and go to the priest and say, look, I know we're not supposed to eat this showbread, but I'm hungry. And I can't win the battle if I'm starved to death. So hand me that bread over. He broke the spiritual law of the day so that he could obtain a greater spiritual victory than the law would allow. And he ate the bread. Oh, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen their seed begging bread. He'd seen it. I've seen it. You've seen it. So what are you saying? Is David a liar? Is the Bible wrong? No. He was looking from two perspectives. Two perspectives. Number one was generational. Number one was eternal. Or number two was eternal. The first one was generational. He had seen people begging. He had begged himself. (laughs) But even in the midst of all that, when it came to the end of his life, he said, I have seen God. Balance out the weights of life. And when it seemed like that the righteous were down and out and beaten and defeated, God somehow raised them up when nobody thought they could. And they ended up victorious when it seemed that there was no way possible that they could ever succeed in this situation. When there was no hope at all, when there was no chance at all, my God was able to do exceeding abundantly above all that they were able to ask according to the Spirit of God that lived in them. I've been young and I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen a seed begging bread. In fact, what I have seen is their seed being blessed all throughout their lives. 
because of the righteousness of their mom and dad. It was generational. Come help me quit if you will. And then it was eternal. Let me tell you, church, we don't, we don't see eternity the way that we need to. We just don't. We live in this fleshly world, in this fleshly realm. And we analyze everything that we're going through based on what we see in the flesh. We analyze our possibilities for victory or our impossibilities based on what is before our eyes because we walk in the flesh. All we see is what's in front of us. But God has given us the ability as righteous men and women of God to see beyond what the flesh sees and to see in the spirit realm what God already knows is going to happen. The scripture says, if in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most miserable. <laughs> you won't hear that from the prosperity preachers. But that's what the Bible says. If in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most miserable. So if all you're living for is to get your million and to get your larger house and to get your gold-plated Cadillac and have your teeth filled with gold dust, if that's all you're living for, let me tell you something, you're going to be a miserable man or woman of God because this world has nothing to offer you that compares to the glories that are awaiting us, that Jesus is preparing himself for those who are walking with him. If you've been blessed, praise God, I'm thankful. If you're healed, hallelujah to the Lamb. If you've got more prosperity than you know what to do with, come see me after church. I could use a little. If all our eyes ever see is what's here in this world, then we'll miss out on all that God has for us in eternity. David says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen them begging for bread. Never. Even though his natural eyes had observed it, his spiritual mind was able to analyze that even though this person is going through something very difficult right now, my spiritual mind sees victory over the next horizon. I'm glad to be called righteous. I'm glad to know that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm glad to know today that I'm an heir of the Father and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, which means that everything that, that Jesus received through, through his inheritance through the Father, everything that he has, I am a joint heir with him. Amen. I have what he has. <coughs> 
I have in my possession all that Jesus possesses because he has given it to me. He has given me the keys to the kingdom of God. Amen. I have the ability to unlock the blessings of God in my life. Why? Because I am righteous in him. Because I couldn't make myself righteous. There's not a thing I could do. There's not a word I could speak. There's not a deed. There's not an action. There's only one thing I can do. And that is just simply acknowledge what God has already said about me. He was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. He died for me. He gave his life for me so that I could walk and talk and exist in this life because of him. Aren't you thankful?